Good Hello. evening. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Eve, Eve. To Eve, yes, right? Eve, Eve. Halloween is on Monday. We record on Saturday for Sunday releases, drops, drops absolutely releases. Sunday uploads, whatever you want to yeah, call them. All Welcome those to cool the things. Castro Files. I'm Greg. I'm Beth. That's Beth. Thank you so much for joining in today. We've got some pretty interesting stories That's to share. Good stories, yeah. First, go out. Make sure you go out to the Castro Files on Instagram and like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Also on uh, YouTube, you can like and subscribe on the Castro Files YouTube page. We also drop this out on the Bar Is Open, which is pretty much like our main channel for our other hub. stuff. It's exactly. the hub, absolutely. Yeah. So, I've got today. We'll jump into the stories. I've got creepy one. This is kind of an interesting one. It's called Slender Man. If you've never heard of Slender Man, there's plenty of stories online. Yes. And it's really one of the first kind of folklore stories to so I've heard that on the internet. It was a folklore story, but that it's become so popular, it actually brought it to life. There's part of the story yeah. that I'm actually going to go over with. Yeah. That. Yeah. So, so kind of cool. A little bit. And what do you have today? I have a Son of Sam connection to a Halloween massacre. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Which has got a pretty interesting twist yeah. to yours as yeah, well. Yeah, it's really so, cool. All right, we're going to jump right into this with Slender Man. Do it. Again, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Let's get on this. All right, so this is from Creepypasta. Slender Man. And the story goes, if you only hadn't looked back, though it was an autumn day, Though it was autumn that day, had seemed long and the brief walk toward home, towards home short. As the sunlight began to fade, you and your two friends left the playground behind and trudged reluctantly home, knowing that you would be forced to pick up the games and conversations the next day. The next day, that never came. If only you hadn't looked back, but you had. Turning for just a moment, you had glanced back towards the tree line seen the fingers of their branches clawing up towards the sky and besides them, the figure. Hmm. At first you thought, you must be mistaken, that your eyes in the hazy blur of twilight were playing tricks on you, but no. When you looked again, he was still there, taller than any man could be, thinner even than the willowy branches that extended upwards toward, from the trees. He loomed in the distance like the shadow of some horrible dark truth and you knew instantly that you had to look away. That if you, didn't, if you didn't tear your eyes from that blank, featureless face, then soon the blank would wash over you, become you, and you would walk slowly but surely, as if pulled by some magnetic force towards him. Towards him, though you feared him, though you were scared of his unnatural height, the aching blank, blank whiteness of his face, the arms that seemed to be stretched towards you and the slithering tentacles behind him. Ooh. You turned, screwing up your eyes, telling, willing yourself not to look, not to see, not to give in to him. You screamed to the others to telling them the same, telling them not to look. But as you open your eyes, you realize they'd already looked. They were already gone. Possibly the most famous creepypasta character of all time wow. is the Slender Man. Certainly one that has crossed most frequently in the mainstream media, the Slender Man. And I'll show you a picture real quick here. The Slender Man, also known as well, Slender Man, also known as Slender Man, 
all at once, um, is a character born of a variety of earlier influences, but which itself represents the evolution in the uses and development of folklore. Violent real-life events linked to Slenderman character increased its infamy and even led to moral panic based around the possible negative influences and danger that fictional uh, character posed to children. Hmm. So the Slenderman appearance, this is a little bit of history behind him. So there's a lot of stories online about Slenderman. Mm -hmm. It goes into all sorts of different types of views and looks. Some say he has a blank face. Some say he's eyeless, featureless, except for a big mouthful of jagged teeth. Though adaptation and modification by various authors means that Slenderman's appearance can somewhat, uh, can vary somewhat differently. The most common features remain the same. The character is usually depicted as an abnormally tall humanoid, usually wearing a dark suit and tie. Could you imagine just looking outside? The one I've seen is the dark suit and tie. Dark suit and tie, which is another one, which is pretty much this one that's Mm -hmm. on the screen. But it almost always has a face that is white or pale gray, though in some depictions, this uh, blank face does feature an animalistic mouth. Slenderman is also said to be able to extend or stretch his limbs, particularly his arms at will, and either has tentacles protruding just visible from his back or has tentacle-like appendages in place of his arms. The character commonly inhabits, inhabits liminal spaces, such as the entrance of woods and a and forest or areas of abandoned ground on the outskirts of more populated towns. Whilst there are still, while there are still a variety of Slenderman stories out there, much of the character's effectiveness comes from the fact that there are no single definitive version. The initial posts that introduced the character being only fragmentary quotes linked to an image rather than an actual short story or complete narrative. It was very difficult to find any stories that weren't, there were really stories about the Slenderman, but there are some videos out there. That I, you know, you got to be the judge of it. It's yeah. like, it's creepy nonetheless, right. probably really good CGI. You hope it's really good CGI. Right. And I've got a screen grab from one of them here in a minute. Ooh, okay. Much of his appearance, however, though the details alter some elements, seem to remain as constants, such as the character appearing by woods or forests, enticing children away from their parents and friends never to be seen again. Another common trope that the Slenderman exerts an influence upon the victims, making them per- uh, perpetrators of crimes or violent actions. The character has also been said to cause illnesses, particularly a cough known as slender sickness, hmm. and to introduce those who encounter him who encounter him to suicide. These latter features, namely incitement to violence or suicide, became more prevalent and commonly associated with the character in case of in a case of art imitating life after real life violent events or cases of attempted suicide were linked to the character. So, again, this is the internet kind of, this is where the, the origins, despite some media outlets adding to the aura of Slenderman mythos by claiming that the figure's origins are unclear, in fact, the character's origins, origins are easily traceable. Slenderman, in his original form, was created by Eric Knudsen under alias Victor Surge. He was responding to a call on something awful for pro, uh, for posters to contribute digitally altered photographs that would then serve as the basis for a new uh, serve as new as basis for new mythologies or stories. I'm having a hard time reading this afternoon. <laughs> I'm on okay. my phone because it wouldn't come up on my other <laughs> on my iPad. So 
Newton's effort posted on June 10th, 2009 shows groups of teenagers and children with the now familiar figure of Slenderman standing in the background. At first glance, the images seem normal, but the figure's anomalous size and featureless face, once noticed, give the picture an eerie and unsettling feeling. So here's a version of it. You have to look close in this one, and I'll show you after because I know mm -hmm. it's a little hard. But in the back left of this, there's this dark person. He's very tall, right? And again, photoshopped or not, it's still creepy to see something <laughs> like that in the background. Alongside the images, Newton provided small snippets out of, of out-of-context text purported to be witness accounts that give hints about these scenes depicted and their relation to the anomalous figure of the Slenderman. By attaching... By attaching... Where'd it go? Sorry. By attaching short snippets of text with his images, Knudsen transformed the lone image into the first Slenderman story, albeit in a non-linear and fragmented form. With each new detail, the new account, posters helped in building a mythos around the character that because of its, of its viral scope and a myriad of conflicting details and accounts did not retain a canon version, and this the, thus the process happened faster. The day of Newton's post, a user named Le Leech Code 5 posted a photo with a backstory featuring Slenderman. By the 14th of June, a user named Trenchmall had, had used Slenderman in his own story. So it keeps building and mm -hmm. building and building. And you know how viral things happen yep. on the internet, right? Yep. Before you know it, it's kind of it's cool, real, actually. Or, yeah. you know, there's some sort of lore. They put it. energy behind it. Absolutely. On June 20th of the same year, Slenderman became the subject of YouTube video series based upon an earlier Something Awful <clears throat> post by, by user Troy Wagner. The series, which alleges, alleges to detail interactions or discoveries about Slenderman made while working on a film project named Marble Hornets. The series of videos was support, was support by a Twitter feed should be supported. Supported by a Twitter feed and second YouTube channel allowed the character to move from being a being a text image and forum based phenomenon to being an ARG with the character now being referred to discussed and modified across a number of different platforms and modalities. Slenderman creepypasta story. After waking up with a jolt, the girl laid back a few seconds longer, reaching over to switch on her bedside lamp. She tried to remember exactly what had stolen her sweet slumber away when she couldn't, the brunette swung her legs over the side of the bed and heaved herself up, checking the time on her phone. She snorted when she saw it was midnight, the witching hour. Knowing that sleep would only evade her, she left her bedroom for the kitchen, a good cup of coffee on her mind. Who drinks coffee at midnight? I, I don't mean... know. As she passed by the front door, a chill spread like liquid fire down her spine. It was only winter, she told herself, focusing again on the coffee Measuring out scoops, water, and preparing her cup kept her occupied. But as the dark liquid boiled, she had nothing left to keep her mind from wandering off. The chill returned, and she couldn't help but glance behind her to the front door. It stood there innocently enough, just like always. The deadbolt was still in place, and she could see nothing amiss with it. Turning back to her coffee, she did her best to forget the feelings. With her cup in hand, she started backwards or back towards her bedroom. As she walked by the front door, she decided that quick glance out of the peephole would help calm her restless mind. The chill wor worsened with each step she took towards the door and further away from the safety of and warmth of her blankets. 
She pressed her empty hand against the cold metal door and took a deep breath before leading her eye to the people. At first, she could only see an inky blackness and somehow seemed to swirl in itself. When she blinked in surprise, the void melted away. She wished she hadn't. She wished it hadn't. In its place, there stood what she could only guess was once a man. The limbs were long and inhumanly awkward, with bulky joints branching off into several arms. Not unlike the branches of a tree, the creature was draped in a black suit, somehow making the thing more nightmarish to her. The icing on the proverbial cake, however, was that what passed as the hellish thing's face. It was as though her mind blurred the ghastly visage to spare itself further shock and horror. She shoved herself away from the door with the with hands still pressed against it. The scalding mug of coffee fell in liquid burning her bare legs as she fell backwards and tried to crawl away from the door. She knew somehow that her mind hadn't been playing tricks on her. As she crab walked from her door, she watched the tendrils as the black as, as black as void as the void. She first saw a snake around through the cracks. It's working its way. No, the thank you. The girl was trapped between the instinct to flee and the gut feeling to not turn her back on the door. When the door jolted, the urge to flee overcame her and she slipped in the burning liquid as she tried to make it back to her room. She knew deep down that she was trapped. She was trapping herself in a corner, but she had to get away from the door. The girl was halfway down the hallway when she heard the previously locked door creak open. She screamed and slipped into the wall, cracking her chin on it and stunning her. After that, there was only blackness. Nicole? A warm male voice snapped, snapped the woman out of her trance. As she turned around, she was met by only one of her by one of her sister's doctors. She nodded, not sure if she should say anything or even if she could find her voice. If she didn't have something to say, that morning she had gotten a, gotten an urgent phone call from the hospital, saying that her sister Lindsay was there. Before they had even let her let her see her, the doctors had pulled her off to the side and insisted that they talk to her about what might have happened. Fraser's life, self-inflicted and assault, had been thrown around and Nicole felt her mind real. She still hadn't fully understood what they had been saying until she saw Lindsay with her own eyes. Her little sister had bandage wraps around her head, covering both her wrists, or both of her ears, as well as her eyes. They said it was to keep her now deadened eyes from drying out and to try to keep infection out of wounds Lindsay had made to her ears. Holy shit. The doctors had guessed that either she she or someone had jammed a pencil into them <gasps> to keep off keep her off balance or deafen her against deafen her against something. There was the mix of first and second degree burns on her hands, legs and feet from what was assumed to be coffee her neighbors found slipped all over spilled all over the entrance to her apartment. As Nicole walked into her sister's hospital room the first time, she thought she had spied the silhouette of a man in the window. That, she knew, was impossible. Her sister's room was on the third story of the hospital. Anonymous story. Okay, so hold on. She, the girl that's in the hospital is the girl that was at the beginning of the story. Right. And the girl that split her chin? The same girl. She... She split her chin, knocking herself out. But in some time in there. She poked her ears and her eyes or something did. Mm-hmm. So when did the sister. So then that the story sc- then goes, goes to, to the, the sister. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. That's creepy. Yeesh. I know. Like people are good writers, man. There's they some are. good writers. Yeah. 
They really are. So Slenderman. So there is a story that directly relates to an actual murder attempt. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Um, and it. I'm looking for the story real quick here. Sure. Um, <clears throat> the article's pretty big, so pretty long. Um, real life article or real life and moral panic in 2012 a girl in wisconsin was stabbed 19 times <gasps> by two classmates who then attributed their actions to being in the, oh, in the service or this. trying to meet the demands yes. laid down by slenderman whilst on one of the perpetrators also claimed to have spoken to ninja turtles and characters <laughs> from harry potter series it was the reference to the ominous sounding slenderman that caught the public's imagination particularly as this was something that the more tech savvy uh, younger generation seemed to be aware of in which to their parent, which their parents were in the dark about. Again, it's the lore, it's the TikTok, mm -hmm. it's the YouTube, it's Instagram, it's all of the above, right? right. Back then, 2012 was probably YouTube, uh, um, sorry, Facebook mm -hmm. or YouTube, so, uh, MySpace, maybe something like that, right? Wow. Um, the internet is, is absolutely filled with dark and dangerous. I things, do remember that being kids. on the news. Yeah. 12, 13 year olds. Mm -hmm. you They're know, like middle schoolers. Go, Absolutely. And this third girl was kind of their friend, but not really, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It, yeah I remember seeing stories about mm -hmm. that one as well. It was interesting. So, I mean, it's not it's sad. It's sad yeah. and scary. Yeah. So, so that's the story of the Slender Man. I've got one more photo here, which is the. There's videos of this on the internet. Okay. And I think, you know, that what's the uh, show we like to watch that you like the. Caught on, on camera? Cam it's caught on Paranormal camera. Paranormal caught on camera? Yeah. I've seen this video on there before, so okay. I just took a still of it. You can check that out on, you can just Google Slenderman, and you'll okay. get all sorts of, of creepy, that's insane. interesting stuff. So, All right. So that's my quick <clears throat> Slenderman story. What nice. do you, you've got? So again, mine is um, a story from the Halloween Horrors book. It's 31 True Crime Stories of Murder and Beyond. The story I'm talking about today is a Son of Sam connection to a Halloween massacre. Uh, they call it a massacre. I, I, it was only two people, but I think massacre, massacre probably. I don't so know what constitutes maybe, a massacre. That's bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> right? Anything like that is pretty terrible. So Halloween night in 1981 in New York City was another excuse for people to wear costumes and pretend to be something they weren't. But that night, someone would go from a pretending to be scary to committing a double murder. Ronald Sisman had invited his girlfriend, Elizabeth Platzman, over to his place for a photo shoot. They were enjoying wine when a group of masked individuals showed up at the door. Ronald first told Elizabeth they should just ignore them, but he relented and opened the door when the knocking turned into banging. The bodies of Elizabeth Platzman, 19, and Ronald Sisman, 39, were found early Saturday morning uh, in, his, in Sisman's duplex on West 22nd Street in, in Manhattan, near Greenwich Village. He used it as his residence and the location of his two photography businesses. The couple had been severely beaten before being shot in the back of the head at close range execution style. Either before or after their murders, the place had been ransacked by the killers. Furniture had been ripped and other items torn apart in an attempt by the killer to find something. There was so much chaos in the apartment that investigators couldn't walk without stepping on something. Both Sisman and Platzman's face and bodies were covered in an array of bruises from what must have been a very long and painful beating. It had been speculated that the couple knew the killers since there was no forced entry. Among the missing items from the scene were a 25 caliber pistol that was registered to Sisman. It could be the murder weapon used on the victims. The other missing items were the victims' both driver's licenses. 
little tokens right? of some sort. There had been some claims that Sisman had been involved in drugs, but nothing could be pro- uh, proved. If it was the case, police might have motive for the murder and search of the residence. The drug, the drug angle came from Melanie Holler, an actress who worked with Sisman, accusing him of trying to force her to take drugs. When she refused, she said he became belligerent, but the case was later dropped when Holler declined to cooperate with investigators. Still believing drugs were involved, they wonder if Sisman had owned a dealer money. But with nothing even taken from the place, it, would be, it seemed killing him in this manner didn't make any sense. Shortly after, shortly after accusing Sisman, another accusation by Melanie Holler surfaced. Melanie Holler also made an accusation against a film producer in Long Island. In that case, as well, she also said he attempted to drug her, and those charges were also dropped. She's just trying to get somebody in trouble. <clears throat> the police then had an informant call them with a b- bizarre tale. He said that someone he knew had predicted the murder weeks prior. Who was this mysterious fortune teller? David Berkowitz, the imprisoned son of Sam Killer. Okay, so you probably go. I'm let me, probably, yeah, uh, let me yeah. keep going. <laughs> I'm probably going to ask a question that I'm like, wait a minute. Berkowitz was in prison serving a sentence for killing six victims and wounding seven others. After his conviction, the rumors swirled that Berkowitz did not act alone on, or on his own accord, but that he was a puppet in a much larger satanic cult. The informant told police that a couple of weeks before the murder, Berkowitz had told him that his cult would torture and perform a ritual killing on Halloween. He described it as a photographer's residence near Greenwich Village. Greenwich. Greenwich Village. Greenwich. Greenwich. Yeah. yeah Green, did I say Greenwich? Green, Greenwich Village. After the ritual, they would kill the occupants and clean the residence of any incriminating evidence against the cult. Berkowitz elaborated that Sisman had a snuff video of one of the son of Sam's killings that shed light on the cult. It would make people think, make people rethink that Berkowitz had acted alone. Sisman had been hired by the cult to record a video, but they hadn't told him what the film was to be about beforehand. So after it was finished, obviously Sisman did not seem happy at what he had been a part of. Yeah. The cult had heard rumors that Sisman was in trouble for drilling drugs and that he might use the video as leverage to get a deal. When the authorities contacted Berkowitz, he gave a very accurate description of Sisman's residence. Even though those closest to Sisman claimed he never met Berkowitz Berkowitz, and wasn't involved in a satanic cult. One fact from the scene that could go a long way in supporting his claim that the cult killed them was that the licenses were stolen. This had happened in other cult killings where the person, uh, I'm sorry, this had happened in other cult killings where they take personal identifying objects to prove that they got the right person. Mm -hmm. To this day, no one has been arrested for these murders. So you go back into the Berkowitz the son of Sam. Well, you're familiar with that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I watched a whole, there's a whole Netflix yeah. documentary on him back in the early 80s, right? Just walking around, terrorizing the entire city. I mean, the whole city was like on, on edge. edge. Yeah. But when you add in the side of it being cult, yes, having other people, that's interesting because you said in there he was already in prison. He was he when this when this was he predicted it a couple of weeks before it happened to somebody while he was in prison. That, that person was going to be murdered, or just that somebody, somebody would be yep. murdered. So yeah, you go okay. How do he know that unless he had unless he was? Yeah, he told uh, the informant told police that a couple of weeks before the murder, Berkowitz had told him that his cult would torture and perform a ritual killing on Halloween, and it's still unsolved. It's still unsolved. So you go okay. Somebody is out there yeah too bad back then they didn't have 
doorbell cameras like we have today. <laughs> Some ring doorbells, right? absolutely. Because uh, this was 1981, so they yep. didn't have the technology we have today. No, we but were yeah, still so tube socks. <clears throat> I also think it's incredible that they didn't find any DNA. Keep in mind, I don't think they had DNA technology back. They could have collected blood and hair and tissue. Fingerprints, but fingerprints, but. Again, a lot of that is we technology didn't have computers. Driven. I mean, they had computers, but they, I don't think they were on those kinds of, you know, they were on mainframes or something yeah. like that. And I don't know they had that capability. Yeah. It was literally visual comparison and stuff like that, too. Yeah. It's a very interesting story. Very, it is. And it's interesting that you found that one kind of intentionally, unintentionally, that it's falling the day before Halloween mm-hmm. Eve. Yep. Right. So that would have been. 40 years ago? Yeah. Almost. 81? Uh, oh, actually, years 41 ago. years ago. Yeah. yeah. I had one other one that was really good about a, another. It's called the Smiley Face Killer. Oh, let's hear that one. You want to hear that yeah, one? Let's hear that one. <clears throat> it's a little smiley bit face. longer. That's so, right. Uh, did the Smiley Face Killer strike on Halloween? Was it a bar fight that got out of hand or something much more sinister? Did Chris Jenkins cross paths with the Smiley Face Killer on Halloween night? Halloween night, this is recent, 2002 in Memphis, Minnesota. A group of college kids from the University of Minnesota dressed up and went out to celebrate. They were at the Lone Tree Bar and Grill when one group member got separated. His name was Chris Jenkins. The story goes that sometime after midnight, Chris spilled a drink on his pants by accident, but the security team thought he was intoxicated and had urinated on himself, so they removed him from the bar, and the bouncer told him he would not let him go back in. Chris had been wearing a Native American Halloween costume without pockets and had just been kicked out without his coat in 20 20 degree temperature. He had given his cell phone and his wallet to his girlfriend, Ashley Rice, who was still inside. So now Chris found himself outside in the freezing temperatures without any means of getting home since another friend had driven them to the bar. The last one reporting seeing Chris was that he was walking. I'm sorry. The last one anyone reported seeing Chris was that he was walking from the bar heading north. But when he never showed up back at his place or contacted anyone, he he was reported missing. Four months of not a word from Chris or any clues to his disappearance had not just his family and friends on edge, but the college campus as well. On February 27th, 2003. So what? Four months later, Mm -hmm. uh, a body was spotted floating in the Mississippi River. The body had been wedged in between branches of a fallen tree near the upper St. Anthony Falls Dam. After pulling it from the water and performing an autopsy, it would be revealed it was Chris Jenkins. He had still been wearing his Halloween costume, so it assumed he died the night he went missing. The official cause of his death was listed as undetermined, but the police believed it was an accidental drowning. His family, however, didn't think this and was forced to launch their own independent investigation. This investigation would turn up quite a few discrepancies to the official reports made by the police. One second. Yeah. Okay. That would suck. Get kicked out of a bar in middle well, or anywhere. And to be winter. so uncool that you would be like, can you at least just grab my girlfriend and my coat? Because I'm freezing. Yeah. Um, so these discrepancies, the first one, uh, the private investigator started with retracing Chris's steps that Halloween night, which took him to the Lone Tree Bar and Grill, where suspiciously now all staff said Chris left on his own, that he hadn't been kicked out. Then the owner issued a gag order so his employees could not speak to anyone without a company attorney present. Two, the night of Halloween, an off-duty police officer named Mike Casey was in the bar. He was working security in the area. He knew Case. He knew Ashley, Chris's girlfriend. He had actually loaned her one of his uniform shirts for her Halloween costume of a sexy police officer. During the night, she introduced Chris to Mike. 
A rumor going around at the time was that Mike Casey had told the security supervisor at the bar to have Chris removed because he wanted Chris out of the picture that night to flirt with Ashley. Then later, after Chris was gone, he gave Ashley a ride home. The Minneapolis uh, PD never even questioned Casey uh, formally. Because he was a cop. When he when asked why Casey wasn't questioned, even though he had driven the victim's girlfriend home and might know valuable information, they said he's a married man with children. We didn't want to break up a family. What? Mm -hmm. Retracing Chris's steps, the private investigator realized the route home for Chris would have not uh, would have taken him over the henpin adventure uh, avenue bridge he found that the federal reserve bank had two outside security cameras facing in that direction but when the bank reviewed the footage there was no sign of chris so he had not started walking home okay number four family knew they needed to try and find out where chris went if they were ever going to find out what happened to him they hired a canine unit and two different bloodhounds tracked chris's scent from the lone tree bar to a restaurant across the bar called the Times square pizza and subs from there, the bloodhounds each tracked Chris's scent further to an underground parking garage next to the pizza shop. The smell came to a stop around the parking stalls number 89 and 90. On Halloween night, the bouncer from the Lone Tree Bar and Grill had been parked in one of these spots. The bloodhounds also found a hint of Chris on the vehicle that had been parked in there that evening. Hmm. With a possible scene to investigate, a search for evidence began. The private investigator would recover blood droplets, a red a red feather fragment and red string that could be part of the headband Chris had been wearing that night as part of his costume. Number five, the, the private investigator started looking more closely at the movement around the pizza shop and garage that night of the hollow uh, that night of Halloween. Several people had been seen. Several people had seen a group of 10 or more people attacking someone in front of Times Square pizza and sub that night, but no one was sure if it had been Chris or not. I mean, if you see 10 people attacking somebody, aren't you going to go over there? Or call the cops Please, right? or something. Number six, the from the pathologist report, it is known that Chris's blood alcohol level was 0.12%. They so, found his body four months later, though. Mm-hmm. I wonder how accurate. I mean, this is 20 years ago, but. All right, so, but he wasn't drunk. He was 0.12%. So he was not out of it drunk wise. 0.012. 0.12. So he was drunk. He was almost double the legal limit. Mm. 0.08 is legal limit. May, may, I don't know. Yeah, that so just says 0.12%. So he was not out of it drunk. Maybe they were wrong. Test also blackout, showed traces of chemicals GHB in his system, which is used to sedate people and is referred to as the date rape drug. Yeah. Yeah. Number seven, the pathologist who formed the autopsy also noted some stains inconsistencies if the body had drowned. First, he said he was found with his arms crossed in front of him, which is odd for victims who fall into the water and drown. They usually found their arms out to their sides. Because you're floating, right? Mm-hmm. I imagine. That's what I see on TV anyway. Right. Their clothing usually it, their clothing is usually disheveled too, but Chris's shirt was still tucked into his drawstring pants and the slip-on moccasins were still on his feet, which led the pathologist to believe that Chris was dead and rigor mortis had set in when he was placed in the water. Yeah. Number eight, when he was pulled from the robber, the river <laughs> a clump of hair was in his left hand this clump of hair had never been tested it was it had been filed away after being labeled foreign material in left hand finally years later it was tested and it proved to be chris's own hair he pulled out his own hair number nine lack of bruising seemed to throw the family off chris was an avid lacrosse goalie and was usually covered in bruises on his legs and arms he played two games and had been to practice days before he vanished so there most likely should have been bruises on his body 
Since there wasn't, his body wondered if he'd been kept alive somewhere for a few days mm-hmm. before being killed and disposed of. Yeah. Cause, I mean, even for how long? You run into the bed once in a while, you got a bruise for two yeah, weeks. exactly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last not least, 10, a hydrologist, who is somebody who studies water, yep. uh, studied the Mississippi River, didn't believe that Chris's body could have been in the water for four months and not have been spotted. That's not... I was thinking the same thing. He researched the temperatures in the area and found that the river didn't freeze over until January. Okay. Also, the area under the Third Avenue Bridge where Chris's, Chris's body was found had been combed for weeks after his disappearance. They would have seen him. Yes. Somewhere. Uh, four years after Chris went missing and then turned up in the river, his family finally got the police to reopen the investigation. A new police a new police chief took over. He sat down with them and viewed the evidence they had collected. It was only then that Chris's death was reclassified from accidental drowning, drowning to homicide. Was this an informant come for after this, an informant came forward with new information. He said that he had seen someone he knew throw Chris off the Henpidge Avenue bridge, but this seeming, this seems unlikely to anyone who studied the case. If Chris had been thrown off the bridge, he would have hit a steel support beam and metal cables on his way down, and his body would have shown multi- multiple injuries, which it did not. To date, no one has been charged with the murder of Chris Jenkins. Some speculate it was a fight that got out of hand. Others believe it was part of the smiley face killings that took the lives of many college men in the Midwest. Their bodies are found in the water after a night of drinking, and a smiley face is painted nearby. But without knowing where Chris went into the water, it's hard to look for the smiley face graffiti. Ooh, that's gave me goosebumps. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So another unsolved mystery. But very in line with a group of murders yeah. that had been occurring but in the Midwest. Again, that... Again, I go. I think back to the bruising portion of that, right? Like if he's a he's an avid lacrosse mm-hmm. player, right? You're gonna get injured, even just mild I mean, bruises yeah. on the arms. From we all have something somewhere all like the time, yeah, you know. Right? So, but yeah, he would have to. I mean, there just to me there was so many weird things, like the cop. Like, why isn't he? And if they found his blood on the body, I mean, on the bouncer's car. So this story. These are real stories that you mm-hmm. just talked about. Mm-hmm. And if this story's been around for twenty years. Why haven't they reopened it and tried to investigate that police officer? Right, right. or right. figured out the blood that they found well, yeah. on or the car. Hair. Well, they d- they tested his hair. They tested the hair, but yeah, why didn't they? Do they not have it anymore? I don't know. That's what I'm wondering wonder. too. I was I was expecting you to say that the hair was going to be gone. Uh, yeah, or somebody, you know, like, like yeah. yeah. So it's just kind right. of. I mean, we don't know what happened, but it it uh, is spooky in the sense that it lines up with some 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 other serial yeah. killer kind of, and things. that it also happened on Halloween yeah. night. Halloween night. Yes. Be safe out there, yes. everybody. Those were our stories for the evening. Yes. We're going to go do a trunk or treat now. Yes, we are. I love you. Thank you guys you so too, much for joining. Thanks for joining us, guys. You can go out to the bars open, check out the stories. We post that here, and we post it on the Castro Files. Every Sunday night around 8 p.m., they'll be they'll be dropping. So, again, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Be safe. Get Have a lot fun. Of candy. Be safe. And we'll catch you next time. Yep. Bye, See guys. You.